0: Just two hometown chickens working to keep Salida, Salida.
1: Welcome, welcome friends to the K-H-E-N Caboose. We're here in the Caboose at 106.9 on your FM dial. And you can hear us here every Wednesday at 11, every Sunday at 9. <clears throat> you can always go to podcasts and hear the last four years now of shows of on the rails, a rail interest show, uh, <clears throat> or you can do what Buddy the Dog does. Hi, Buddy. Buddy listens on um, iTunes uh, to this show. So that's kind of... With iTunes, you can listen anytime. Well, same with podcasts. Anyway, we're back here in the old K we got our feet put up, it's a sunny, nice sort of a, it's a spring day, spring day back here in the caboose. And uh, the, uh, on the rails is heading up the rails. And at the head end of this train is our engineer, Rick White, and he may be, I, sometimes we hear a sound of him up with head end. Nope, no harm, no sound. Well, sometimes he's up there with Juanita, but when we pull through the station, I looked on the platform, I thought I saw Juanita driving up in her old pickup truck, but I don't think she made the run. So well, is thank anybody you. up? Thank you for that uh intro, Forrest. And yeah, everything's fine up here. Looks like clear sailing. Juanita was supposed to meet us and we had to go. We run on time. We're trained people. We run on time.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: We're like the old Santa Fe. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, we've got a guest in the caboose today, and that's Judy Smith. Now, Judy Smith is interesting. Several people know her as a sort of a a way-fun realtor, a kind of realtor who just deals in all kinds of interesting, fun properties. But she, in addition, is kind of a scholar. She's spent a lot of time looking at these, all these (coughs) historic railroad people who, who operate on instinct, and one of those is Gilpin. And Gilpin, William Gilpin was our first territorial governor. This is before statehood in Colorado. And he was appointed by uh, Abraham Lincoln. And, um, you know, let me just read a, a tiny bit of the preface to his, his final, final book. Um, My studies of the conflagration and climates of the North American continent began by personal observations. Over a half century ago, when the western part was but a primeval wilderness, it was whole, wholly unknown. The idea forced itself more and more upon my mind of a widely extended railway system, a system which should not only transverse the continent but sea to sea, and should bring gradually all of humanity together. Now, that's a big—that's a big statement to make about a railroad, and and yet. Um, and it certainly is the case that Gilpin believed in that. And one thing he thought, and I, I think it was, it's interesting, is that once we had the Cosmopolitan Railway, as he called it, <coughs> bringing together the East and the West in North America, then you, all these different peoples who lived here would, would gradually learn to understand each other. And he started out, Gilpin started out as an army officer And so he went all around North America. And the more he saw of it, the more he felt like we we could do a a lot more in terms of living in harmony with each other. Especially with the Indians, he felt over and over that if we could just sort of adjust a little more to their way of life, and we'd have fewer Indian wars, some of which he, uh, more that he felt that we could get along with the Indians, if we did some good treaties, but that what he, what he did as a, a military officer would be also to be the, the, the cop, the policeman. So when they got ready to, I don't know, attack some settlement or something that he'd be there to change their mind. So the other thing that Cosmopolitan Railway was and was something that he felt he, he, as he says in his preface, he would observe um, um, what came to be known as the north latitudes, and he observed how they sort of fit together with the middle latitudes, and so all of that is just the forty-eighth parallel uh, was was very important in this because that was also, I believe, the sort of the line between what he saw sort of the northern and southern hemispheres up here. And um, he, he just observed all this. And that's why he felt this cosmopolitan railway was bound to come and bound to follow along on that. So now, Judy, let me toss the ball over to you a little. So you, you've read some of these same same things from right now in this era.
0: Yes, I have actually, Forrest. Thank you for your introduction. That was that was most helpful because as we were coming together for this meeting, I realized that your wisdom is far beyond mine, as I always suspected. <laughs> Whoa. Um, well, I, I, I'm i only giving you credit because you're far beyond mine in years and wisdom, Um I, I have the wisdom and knowledge that I seek to gain simply because I've made the choice to seek new avenues and new <coughs> wisdoms. And um, during those explorations, I came across a gentleman named Peter Shampoo, um, and that is spelled the French way, even though it's pronounced the, um, I guess, ordinary way, like shampoo for your hair. But his name is Peter Shampoo. He's a French Obviously, French descent. He's an author of the book called Arcaventero, and if anyone has read the book Arcaventero, you will find it very fascinating. For those that live in this area, because this book speaks a little bit also about the energetic ley lines of the earth, and I'm relating this back to what um, Gilpin says in his book, The Cosmopolitan Railway concerning the 48th parallel. And those things that are manifested on the earth within the 48th parallel, where the Northern and the Southern hemispheres come together, so to speak. So what Peter Shampoo illustrates to in these books is the ley lines of the earth, the geometric design and layout of the physical attributes of the mother earth, And they're related as a matrix that surrounds the earth and that the earth is shaped, I guess, it's likened to a dodecahedron. And so if you're a geometry geek and you know what a dodecahedron is, then you'll understand that the earth being basically round like a soccer ball. And if you can envision a soccer ball, it's a dodecahedron. And different parts of that soccer ball have black and white colors and you know what a soccer ball looks like I guess that's the best way to kind of bring it to a physical understanding to those who may not know anything about geometry and so back to that 48th parallel maybe Forrest you could enlighten me during this a little bit more about where that 48th parallel where where that was
1: well, sir, yeah, and certainly remember in, in, in the 1850s, 1860s, why uh, there was great controversy. Where should the railroad go? Everybody knew that, that we needed a railroad and we needed to uh, link East and West. But the big question was, where should it go? And uh, one big group, particularly in the Congress, thought it should go through um, Southern New Mexico, it, that that way you'd get best job. And another group that thought, no, it really should be through southern Canada. But the Gilpin kept saying, No, as I observe the 48th parallel, and as I observe oh, 50 miles each side of that, what do I see? I see crops that are a little bit better. You get a little better yield if you stick close to the 48th. I see more gold mines. If you, if you, um, if you use the, the right angle of, of intensity in your work, that you know, you're intense with your angle, well, you're more likely to find some gold there. And he put that all together and said, so I think we're dealing here with an isothermal zodiac. Said, I think we're gonna get more rainfall along that. I I think um, I think this is the way to go, uh, which is through uh, through Colorado, uh, through maybe through Southern Wyoming, but right on to San Francisco, right on to uh, the West Coast. So that that's what he what he thought he saw coming, and that's why he wrote, you know, so extensively about where the Cosmopolitan Railway should go. Now his, his human theory there, that's, that's really interesting because he thought all along that line, we could learn to get along with the Indians. We could have good treaties. And remember he was a quote, Indian fighter, unquote. That was his job in the US Army was to keep the tribes apart from the settlers. He had as much trouble with one as the other, by the way. A lot of the settlers, they like to take scalps too yeah oh yes they did quite a few of the settlers and the idea of beating up indian taking an indian scalp that was that was big for them and of course a lot of the indians traditionally like to uh, do the same things with the settlers so he had this this vision that along this 48th parallel we could slow down see each other better and gradually have Fewer conflicts. So now, Judy, how does that flow with what you've been reading?
0: It relates to the ways in which where things happen and occur on the earth and why they happen and occur on the earth may have many things to do with the energetic abilities of that particular geographical location to create certain aspects that relate to humanity and community and connection and consciousness. And I think Gilpin was a pioneer way beyond his time. What he proposed in his Cosmopolitan Railway book, which is a great book, he proposed something that has been dubbed, and this is a great thing to think about in our present times, especially, the Intercontinental Peace Bridge. Do you remember that part of the discussion? I
1: do.
0: And the International Peace Bridge, would have been a link between Eurasia and the African continents and the North and South American continents on the other side. So it was a big undertaking. Uh, It never came to fruition, but I think that the vision that he had to bring together the continents and to create peace within them through a bridge, even though they were truly visions of physical manifestations and infrastructure on the planet it reaches further and deeper than that because it also relates back to how we are affected by that as humans and as communities and as conscious individuals are you with me
1: i am with you and uh, yes now gilpin himself never would have gone that far that is you know he would have said well these are my observations i think there is an iso- isothermal zodiac i never i don't think he went so far as to say that was built in to the earth itself although he would say that along the 48th parallel something was going on and the earth itself favored that now the, the peace bridge he put that forward as i don't know as sort of a, uh, an aspirational idea that someday once there was a bridge across there he Peoples would communicate, and once you would communicate, you'd uh, begin to get along better. I mean, and for instance, his favorite verb was debouched. Now, we we don't use that verb much, but what it really means is sort of the, the, the freight car opening up and outcoming everything, and <laughs> that's what sort, sort of he thought would happen. He thought all the peoples of the world would get on the cosmopolitan railway, and once on the cosmopolitan railway, you'd you'd have a mixing, and a debouching of peoples. So you'd have Irish people debouching in Siberia. You'd have Siberian people debouching in Ohio. You'd you'd have uh, and that, but all along the forty-eighth parallel, something in the earth itself seemed to favor these groups getting along. And um, as he said, and, and this is of course. We would see as racist today, but in the 1860s, he didn't, or 50s, he didn't see it that way. Just that different racial groups brought different natural talents. And, Agreed. Uh, Agreed.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes.
1: And he felt like the, the Scotch-Irish would bring a lot of mathematical uh, talents. Uh, the English would love, would, would bring um, talents for having democracies. The democracy was so fragile that... Um, it needed to have lots of Robert's rules of order, lots of structure, because otherwise there's the tendency to go toward dictators. And country after country that has a democracy for a while, we hope not including ours, but we'll see, has a tendency to go to a strong man who uh, develops a lot of anger toward whatever the government is currently. And out of that anger comes, they lift themselves up. And then you know you've got a dictatorship, and the current dictator then decides what's what's next, what's going to happen. We have largely avoided that in the u s. completely avoided that really, but uh, not so in a lot of other countries where where the dictatorship came along. But along the forty eighth it was harder to do that because you've got a different energy. If you will, along the isothermal zodiac, if you will, that makes the ideas of democracy work just a little bit better. But then some of the other groups he talked about that that's we, we would call racism. He said, the Africans, boy, with that black skin, they'll be perfect. As they debouch from the cosmopolitan railway, they will be perfect because they can run the mines, they can go down in there where it's hot and dark because that's, they're, they're, their skin is the right color for being down in there where it's hot and dark. Boy, they'll just fit right in, <laughs> which a lot of Africans today would say, "What what's this white boy talking about? <laughs> but, but several of the other ones. Now it's interesting where the Mexicans fit in because as he pointed out, the 48th parallel goes through lands held by Mexico uh, at, at that time and just, some of them just recently taken over by the U.S. And he he thought there was a lot of wisdom there to incorporate. Well, Judy, what do you think? I'm throwing out a lot of guilt. And what, what do you think about from where you're coming with shampoo?
0: I have evolved from the thought that this is simply something that we talked about earlier, of being connected. After hearing what you've just expressed, I'm listening to your words and I'm feeling that what you speak of presently is so appropriate in our present moment, in this present time, in our present country, with our current situations, politically and socially, that those preconceived notions that we've been led to believe are so, and you're mentioning of the democracy and the way it it just might be changing and how, you know, once we give our power away to an individual who can become then that leader within a Democracy, their power becomes their demise. And I think that the power we've given away, possibly as people within the United States of America, to those that have been perceived as leaders in whatever way, is showing us that the wisdom from these books that have been written back in the time when the United States was being conquered by those that came to take it over from the native dwellers. All of those things that were happening at that time are are coming to fruition as we speak. They, we are a very, very young civilization as far as we know in America, simply because our current form of established government, established sovereignty as a nation only came to being, I guess you could say in 1492 when Columbus discovered it after sailing the ocean blue. but um, Things that happened in 1776 were very revolutionary too. And things that happened in the 1860s when the humans that came encountered the natives and had to figure out a way to coexist. I think Gilpin was a pioneer. He was a true visionary. He had the desire to create an ability for people to move their bodies about and live in new areas in a whole new way that was foreign to so many people and knowing what that would create, he had a vision of it being a co-creation of divine opulence. It wasn't going to be a test of wills and dominance. He wanted it to be where, as you said, he had that task of working with the settlers as well as the natives who were defending their territory against the settlers coming in to coerce and convince those natives that they were friendly and that they could be trusted, that that obviously came out in a different way as we know history now. Those poor people that were there at that time that went through the demise, I hope that they realize with their essence that their task and their mission and their sacrifice has shown us a better way to live. So I think everything that you ever say to me, Forrest Whitman, in the way of history, Constantly reveals to me the history that allows me to have more wisdom in my current moment and in the future for my children and the children my children will bring forth. It's a big task for us all. And I guess that's why I'm on this show and I really enjoy your company. And your caboose is just beautiful. That's very,
1: very flattering. I want to keep you here in the caboose all the time. Let's ask our engineer what he thinks. Can we keep her in the caboose? Can she live here?
0: I'm no. in the caboose already. I don't need permission. <laughs>
1: oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, well, and and, I, uh, and these,
0: these things are, and of
1: course, as you're saying, and as we all know, this, it was kind of easier for Gilpin to have that vision in say the late to mid 1850s, because a lot hadn't yet happened. Certainly one thing that had not yet happened was the Civil War, and once that, once that broke out over this issue of slavery, why, oh my God, that that that, that started um, that started a, a, whole different view of the railroads, which we could do, but we we we're not going to get to that during the first half of this show, so let's uh, <clears throat> refill our coffee cups, let's uh, say high ball, and uh, put this segment of the caboose. To sleep, and is the engineer up there? Can he hear this? All right. At the count of three, we'll do a big highball and take a little break, refill our tea or whatever. Okay, one, two, three. Highball! 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 High